Ahoy! You're listening to Diffuse Tap with Penny Estes and Isla Krem. Today, we're talking to Grant Cermak, the CEO at Evergreen Systems. We'll be discussing how corporations are already implementing blockchain in their operations, what issues they're trying to solve with the technology, and which implementations are successes or failures. Blockchain meets the business world for realsies. Enjoy! Hello, one and all. Nice to see you this morning. Um, for some of you who are new faces, you probably don't know what's going on. So a little bit of, here's this, agenda, what's going on. So we're going to uh, briefly talk about Diffuse Tap, the event you're at right now, as well as Diffuse Funds, the company doing this. Fireside Chat with Mr. Grant, Sir Mac, um, talking about the, co- the intersection between corporations and blockchain. And we're going to do two more rounds of tap rooms, kind of similar to what you just did. Um, so it's a chance for you to meet folks in a rapid fire, intimate setting. Because mostly this is networking, an hour together, 45 or so minutes of it is groups of four, four, five, six, something along those lines. Um, We do want you to learn a bit, which is why we have folks like Grant on to tell us what they're up to. And uh, next is in person. We actually don't have anywhere booked for October. So if you would like to host or be an ambassador or, or help organize a diffuse in person in your local area, let us know. We can make help make that happen. Um, Diffuse Funds is the company. So what we do is we spin up uh, alternative funds, primarily focused on Diffuse Digital 30, which is a 30-coin market cap-weighted index fund of crypto. The idea gives you a broader exposure to the crypto market um, without uh, having to worry about things like private keys and all of the security and things along those lines. So uh, that is publicly listed. So let us know if you want to learn more about that. But enough about us. Let's talk to the good Mr. Sir Mac. Grant, would you mind unmuting yourself, giving the good folks a little bit about your background and what you are up to over at Evergreen? Sure. So my name's Grant Cermak. I've been a software developer for 20 years. Uh, kind of got my start uh, doing startup companies. So the first thing I ever did was I worked on the digitization of plaster models for the orthodontic industry. So, you know, these medical records were very bulky, hard to store. They required, uh, you know, consistent temperature. So we made a 3D laser scanner. It was a great experience in in uh, startup companies and new technology. Took all of that learning that I got working there uh, in motion control and actually went into aerospace for a period of years. So I worked with a lot of companies like Northrop Grumman, NASA, Navy, uh, just like had a really good experience working with a diverse set of companies as a, as a subcontractor. Um, and then decided that I really didn't want to work in the defense industry anymore. So I went to work and started working on uh, hearing aids and hearing aid modeling for a while. Uh, and then I found my way into medical imaging and medical imaging is how I got into blockchain. So I was working uh, at a company, uh, it was another startup company called Nucleus Health, and we built these uh, siloed uh, deployments of our product. So this is really important for medical imaging because in medical, you really want to avoid is uh, showing patient data errantly. So if you can isolate all of the customer's data to their own architectural stack, it really goes a long way towards uh, reducing the opportunity for seeing data that you aren't supposed to. So we built all of these systems that were single tenant isolated. And then they came back to us and said, hey, we'd really like to share data amongst ourselves, which was the antithesis of what they originally asked me to do. (laughs) So 
uh, instead of just building another system and then commingling their data, we we went and looked to see if there was any kind of technology that was out there that might enable like federated data access in a peer-to-peer trustless way. And that was right about the time when uh, Ethereum had just launched. So we got really excited about Ethereum, Solidity, smart contracts, and actually built uh, a system that would allow you to put pointers to data in the blockchain and then use uh, wallet, uh, public-private key crypto to do the signing of the authentication tokens so that you could get access to studies across these different deployments. And it worked really well. We went and demonstrated at a hackathon and sort of that was my first experience in using blockchain technology to solve real world problems. And after that experience, uh, we said, this is really too great a technology to just have it siloed inside of Nucleus Health. So we spun out another company called Nucleus Health. And this was entirely focused on self-sovereign health records, essentially making it so that uh, all that data that goes into your EMR and then gets uh, trapped behind the portal, you could actually pull that data into your own private repository, monetize it, and then also walk it around. Because a lot of what happens in medical imaging is you'll get scanned in one place and then you'll have to go to another place and then they'll rescan you because the data is not that portable, even though it's supposed to be, you can't move it around. And so we started working on making data more portable, making it more accessible. So again, another real world use case of blockchain. And, uh, you know, after that, I've, I've been working in a lot of different companies, industries as a contractor, uh, in, uh, you know, various different facilities, but always with some focus on Web3 or touching Web3 in some way. And always trying to stay on the side of I'm not don't want to do the crypto casino thing. I don't want to do a pump and dump. I want to try to make this technology work in the real world and use it uh, in a way that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, I'm really excited about the topic for today because I think that there are a whole subclass of problems that can be solved with blockchain. And it has to do with how the blockchain fundamentally works and the problems that we can solve. Okay, I like it. I mean, at the end of the day, blockchain's a massive decentralized computer, right? Passes the Turing test or the Turing, yeah, requirement. Um, so where are we at in the cycle right now? Two years ago, every corporation in the sun was excited about trying to use blockchain to solve some day-to-day problem that they have. I ain't hearing much about that anymore. Where are we at in kind of how corporations are are viewing this technology? And where is it where's the cycle right now? I, I think in a lot of ways we've been focused on ethereum like ethereum has been the Mm -hmm. most popular chain to try and like do certain types of things and and it's met with some success right i i don't think there's any doubt that ethereum has you know launched a lot of different interesting protocols it's launched some stuff within DeFi, nfts you know there's been some foray into you know real world asset trading so i think that there's some successes there i i think the one that i've looked at that's been the most surprising but also uh you know exciting is the climate action data trust and that's uh been launched on the chia blockchain which is the one that evergreen uh has built the at-home crypto miner for so at evergreen we've made a, a direct-to-consumer device that allows you to uh, plug in a plug and play device that lets you earn on the Chia blockchain and it's securing that network. So the first question is, you know, like, why do we need another L1? Like, what is it mm-hmm. doing? And like, why this? Right. Um, so when Climate Action Data Trust said, we really need a blockchain. And the reason that the Climate Action Data Trust said that they needed a blockchain was they wanted to eliminate fraud. That's the primary thing that they wanted to do. They said uh, when these carbon projects get created, 
um, they then need to be tokenized. And the incentive that you have uh, for creating one of these carbon projects is first to fake it, right? I mean, if you can fake some project and then go sell it off, you just print your <laughs> money. Uh, the next fraud thing that you can do is to do a real project, but then sell it to a bunch of different people, right? If you can sell the same thing four or five times, you just five, four or five extra the amount of money you're going to make off of something. So what there was a need for is to say, we need to register these projects once. We need to tokenize them in a way that's auditable. And then we need to be able to retire the carbon in a way that uh, enables that we have traceability and auditability throughout the entire process. And to me, that is what blockchains fundamentally can solve, like as a real world use case. It's the elimination of fraud or it's the provability. And what you really need is a high security chain that is has all the goodness of everything that we've ever thought about with blockchains, right? That it's peer-to-peer, -peer, decentralized, highly secure, and that it operates in a way that is trusted and provable. So the Climate Action Data Trust looked at a lot of different blockchains and they tried simulations on Ethereum and Polygon and a lot of different ones. And then eventually they uh, they got to working on Chia and they said, this is the chain we want to use. It actually works. It does what we want. Uh, it's auditable. It's provably secure through the smart contract programming language that Bram Cohen created, which is called Chia Lisp. And they launched it. And now Carbon is being, you know, like registered, tokenized, and retired on the on the Chia blockchain. And this is a real-world use case in use by World Bank and IFC. And it is the de facto place where all carbon is registered and traded. This is, you know, it's a it's a big deal. It's a real-world use case, and it's not just some corner of the world mm -hmm. that's you know experimenting with it, but it's live and and in use. So this one is one that I, I really like to point to and say, this is kind of the pattern and paradigm for how mm -hmm. blockchains can be used. So you talked about one of the big things for, D, for um, uh, crypto projects, blockchain in particular, is the decentralized nature of it. Um, one criticism you can lodge is that something like carbon credits, right? You, that's great if everybody agrees what chain to do it. And there's a central party that basically says, this is the chain that you're going to use to do this on a go forward basis. How does that like conceptually jive, right? Because if we all are going to be reliant on a central party to say you were going to use Chia blockchain, what's the advantage of using blockchain over that one party using SQL Server? And basically saying, here is the, the Oracle for all this information, you can just take access to whenever you want to. It, it's the anytime you place trust in a single centralized entity, that trust eventually gets violated. I, I think we've seen this with centralized authorities repeatedly, right? I think a great example of this is uh, Prime Trust. This is a regulated custodian that was, you know, in the US. Their responsibility was just to hold assets and not lose them. Like that, that was their only job. And <laughs> For years, they went to the auditors and said, we got these assets, we have done the right thing. And then eventually it was proved that they didn't have the assets they were supposed to have, that they had been lying and violating the trust that had been placed in them and that they were short a lot of the assets they were supposed to have. So when I think about why do we build on top of a blockchain, it's because this idea that you can have a centralized authority that's building on top of SQL Server or any other centralized database, and that that fundamental trust relationship that you'll have won't be.
be violated. I don't think it's ever proven out. So if we're going to start building stuff and we want to have a globally distributed type of system, and when you look at how the Climate Action Data Trust was uh, enacted, there's not like one centralized database that's being used. The blockchain is being used to federate the data that's being placed in each of the registries for each of the respective countries. And when they put that data in, it's provable that the databases that are being created are in particular states. Now, this goes kind of very deep into the technology of exactly how it works, but it does hearken to the question you asked, which was, why don't we just build with a centralized authority? If we're all going to agree to what we're using, like, why do we have to build it this way? And so the idea of how they built it was there are a lot of databases and each of the databases holds the registry for their specific country for the specific carbon projects that are being done. So you can go and you can say, retrieve the data for that database and you can inspect it. And then what you can do is you can go look at the blockchain. You can say, what state was the database supposed to be in. And you can verify that the database is in the space state that it's supposed to be in by looking at the hash that was put into the blockchain. And since the blockchain is immutable and it's high security and it's decentralized, you would have to surmount the security budget of the network to be able to make a change that was not correct, right? Like, and how would this actually play out? Let's say I have a carbon project and it's 50 million tons of carbon. Uh, I would have an incentive, like on my side, if I'm a nefarious actor to say, well, it's not 50 million tons of carbon, it's 500 million tons of carbon, right? Just add a zero on there and be super easy to do it. Who would know? Well, the blockchain would know because you would have originally registered it with 50 million. And then if you try to munch the data, it's not going to hash correctly. And since the data is immutable on chain and it's buried after a certain amount of blocks, you can't go back and change it without violating the fundamental way that the chain works. So if you have a centralized chain that stops all the time, that has a few validators, those validators can be subverted and they can be asked to do something that would violate the sanctity of the chain. And what happens with a lot of not decentralized change that has a few number of uh, authorities is you find that you can't even sync the database of the blockchain from scratch that you'll get into these weird situations where all of a sudden you're trying to sync the chain and it just says, well, you kind of have to do this little fiddly thing here. And like, that's what you've got to do. So if you, if you don't have a globally decentralized peer to peer trustless blockchain that has all the goodness that we all know about, then you run into these problems and then you can't prove the things you're supposed to prove. And then you don't get, you know, world governments, NGOs, or even enterprises wanting to do it because they can't trust the fundamental rails that you're building on top of. So I don't know if I answered that, but I, I guess I said a lot of stuff about like how the project works and why I think it was successful. Okay, fair. I like it. Um, so I guess the the follow up, and this should be a slam dunk for you. Why Chia? My understanding, limited though it may be, Chia is not even EVM compatible. So there's a lot of issues with people who have been writing on Ethereum not being able to use Chia seamlessly. So what are the advantages of, of the Chia blockchain over Ethereum? So Ethereum uses a programming model that's called an imperative programming model. And the imperative programming model has side effects. And what that means is it's very hard to reason about it in general, right? Like 
it, this is not dissimilar to how we program computers uh, fundamentally, right? If mm -hmm. you program in JavaScript or Java or whatever, you're doing an imperative programming type of uh, system where you're creating some amount of data state and then you can go through and you can test what your program is doing, but it's based on the state of what's ever happening. So the way you mitigate a lot of that stuff is you write unit tests and integration tests and a bunch of stuff that's sort of unique to how we develop software. But what the fundamental answer becomes is that it's hard to say that your program is really, really right. You can right. say it's right based on all the stuff that I've tested. And so I think it's right, but it might not be right. Uh, it's not provably correct, right? In math, uh, and I, I was math major in college, but didn't, didn't aspire to the level of people like Graham Cohen, who are, you know, math gods, like these guys are people who can win fields medals and stuff. Uh, in a functional programming language, which is what Chialisp is, you can actually mathematically prove that the things that you've written are correct. And so this is the main differentiator on the chain when it comes to things like this. Uh, if you look at the smart contracts that are created on Chia, the first thing that you'll see in a lot of the preamble to the smart contracts is here's this mathematical proof about why this is correct. And that is not typically how smart contracts on EVM compatible chains are proved to be correct. What you do is you write your solidity contract and then you go have an auditor look at it and the auditor says, hey, it's good. It's like getting a blessing from the Pope. You don't really know what they did. They looked at it. They used their brain. Maybe they looked at it mm -hmm. with AI. Maybe they referenced it against, you know, other known solidity smart contract errors that have happened in the past. And they say, here's all the problems with it. Go fix all of these. And then you're good to go. And you get that audit blessing and, and you're done. You don't prove that it's right. And that's because with solidity, you cannot prove that it's right. Uh, with uh, Chia Lisp, it's uh, Turing complete, which means you can do anything. And you can prove that it's correct because it's a functional programming language that cannot produce any state. Anything that you want the program to do has to be brought into the program mm -hmm. and you can test it on any inputs that are, you know, conceptually being brought into the program. So it's provably correct. And when they created the token standard, which is largely what the Climate Action Data Trust relies on, it relies on the uh, Chia asset token standard, mm -hmm. um, you can prove that that, con that that smart contract is correct and therefore you can do things right. and you can have a security level that is really hard to do um, on a lot of other chains. Well, thanks for that. That was a flashback to many a long night doing uh, programming proofs in college and writing lists. So uh, appreciate the uh, the blast there. Um, but yeah, no, it is very involved to do it for anything that's not a functional language for sure. So yeah, interesting. Um, I love it. But unfortunately, we are up to breakout rooms. So a couple of housekeeping items for all of you. Uh, oh, and by the way, Grant, we always ask the same question of speakers, which is tell us the future. What are you excited by? But we'll do that in between breakout rooms. Some okay. housekeeping items for the, the tap rooms. Uh, networking, not pitching, be kind, and uh, do swap details with folks you want to connect with or join the Telegram group uh, for the topic or for the, the tap room itself. Introduce yourself for 30 seconds, uh, discuss the topic if you want to or not, whatever the conversation goes. And the topic is, Ms. Ayala? What is an interesting blockchain use case that you have seen uh, in the last six months? And, and it, it can't be a, you know, a decent prices change. I see something else. I'll pop you into rooms now. We'll see you back here in about 10 minutes. All right. Welcome back, one and all. And Mr. Grant has threatened. Please, sir, tell us the future. What are you excited by? What's coming down the pipe? I think 
we're on the cusp of the next bull market. I think everybody's sort of excited for there to be an upward trend. We've seen repeatedly that the happening sort of is the kickoff for that. So, you know, Q1, Q2 of 2024 probably is the next cycle where we'll see some stuff happening. And then real world asset trading. I think that there's just been a lot of real world asset trading that's had issues with it, whether it be, you know, different types of stocks or different types of ownership classes and, and different types of assets. And as we move that on to the blockchain, I think we're going to see faster settlement times and better auditability and, and more provability around that those trades are real and that there's not fraud. So I think we're going to start to see the elimination of fraud and more driving out risk within systems as we build on top of uh, blockchains, which ha have a fundamental trust layer that's that's really solid. For research purposes, are there any real world asset uh, protocols, projects that you're that are you know the top one or two that you're excited about? Uh, you know, it's it's again, I I'm kind of biased on the chain that I've been working sure. on a lot, but I've I've definitely seen some rumblings in in the Ethereum space that there's some RWA that's happening that looks kind of interesting on some L2s, but Again, it's it's weird because on Ethereum, the gas fees are so yeah, high and the security is okay. not there that I just don't know that you can you can do this reliably. So I, I think the promise is there, but I, I haven't seen the the effectiveness of this on a particular chain that I can point to just yet. Okay, sounds good. Well, Ms. Ayala, is that enough? Oh, clicking all over yeah. the place. Uh, that, the was, uh, that was enough uh, time. And... Uh... The next topic is what are some corporate blockchain projects you've seen that have miserably failed and why? I'll pop your dreams now and we'll see you back here in 10. Awesome. All right, we're going to do a quick wrap up and get you out of here. A little bit behind and up next. Yes. Um, so next week we're talking about uh, crypto and ETFs, an area that is very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, Diffuse Tap in person, um, October. Let us know if you or somebody you know would like to be kind of the host in your home city, wherever that may be. Uh, Telegram, introduce yourself, make a connection. It's great for that. Grant, feel free to unmute and uh, plug your pluggables. How can people find you? Just send them wherever you want them to go, really. Right on. Yeah. So if you want to look at the project we're currently working on, it's evergreenminer.com. That's that at-home uh, direct-to-consumer device. So we're, you know, like actively selling it it's easy to get involved in it plug and play it's as easy to use as a ring doorbell so evergreenminer.com that's the that's the one check us out awesome evergreenminer.com appreciate it thank you everybody for coming out today always a pleasure to see you and uh grant thank you for sharing some of your wisdom with us and uh, a little bit more about chia and some of the projects over there um isla did i miss anything no, except for if anybody wants to host an October Diffuse yep. Tap in your city, we'd love to sponsor that. Cool. All right. Have a good one. Thank you, folks. See you later. Bye. Cheers. Bye. That's all, folks. Hope you learned something new. If you join us on Zoom every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central, you can also network with other fascinating alternative investors from all over the world in small groups of four or five. Learn more on our website at www.diffusefunds.com. Until next time.